Well done. Um, it is a pleasure to be with you. For those who do not know me, my name is John Alexanian. I am the uh, youth director here, and I love getting to do this stuff. Um, before we jump in too far, I just kind of want to recap a little bit of what Rory Skitt has been talking about, what we've been talking about for the last three weeks, especially for those of you who've been on some awesome vacation, like the Coles. saw your pictures. They look awesome. Or maybe you just flew in from China. Um, so as Pastor Chris said, this summer we've been doing, we've been looking at the Psalms. We're actually about halfway through our Psalm series. Um, and for the last three weeks, we've been working through a mini series on the wisdom Psalms in the book of Psalms. Wisdom Psalms are really pretty simple. They're the advice God has for us on how we are to live. Okay. It's God saying, look, I, I made you. I wrote the manual on how you are to live. Take my advice and live the life you were created for. And so what wisdom psalms enable us to do is better connect with who God is and how he desires us and wired us to live. And when we apply that advice to our lives, we're enabled or freed to live the lives we were created for. And so, for example, Drew started this series a couple weeks ago with a look at Psalm 32, Psalm 32. And in that Psalm, the Lord tells us if we continue to keep our sins, our troubles, our frustrations, our burdens on ourselves, the psalmist tells us that it festers within us, festers. We, in our modern language, we would say it burdens us, it weighs us down, it exhausts us. And the Lord is saying, that is not the way I created you. That's not the life I intended you to live. Walking around, oh, life is terrible. That's not what he desired. Instead, what the Lord says to us in that psalm is, confess it. Get out whatever is burdening you. Lay it at my feet. And in so doing, receive my grace. Receive forgiveness. Be restored. That's what we're starting to mean by a wisdom psalm. And so last week, Lee, um, who's, for those who, aren't, who don't know, Lee is again on tour again for another three weeks with his band. That guy's just all over the place. But Lee last week um, shared with us from Psalm 49. And in that psalm, we saw what a healthy perspective on wealth is supposed to be. What a healthy perspective on wealth. And Jesus actually takes the same idea of what a healthy perspective on wealth is when he says we are not to store up our treasures on earth, but rather store them in heaven where moths, that's the way of combining them, where moths and rust cannot destroy. Essentially, it's this. World, wisdom that the Lord is trying to share with us is this. Life is not about getting one's own in the world. It's about being content with what you have. It's not about having the biggest house, the fanciest car. It's about recognizing what the Lord has given us and living out of that. That's true wisdom. That's healthy life. And so today we're going to build on this idea of how do we live the lives we were created for by kind of looking at this last wisdom psalm in a series. And in this, we're going to see very simple idea, very simple idea. If we have a healthy understanding of who God is, we will have a healthy understanding on how to live life. If we rightly understand God, if we rightly understand what God is like, 
It doesn't matter what will come our way, whether it's good things or bad things, sickness, health, joy, frustration, sorrow, anger, glee. It doesn't matter. Whatever comes our way, we're going to be able to deal with it because we're going to have a healthy understanding of, of life. And this type of healthy perspective on life, by the way, is one that is not lived out of fear of punishment. How many people do you know that do this? They live out of this fear that God is going to get them, and so everything they do is motivated by fear. It's not focused on getting one's own in the world, but it's a life that focuses on blessing others. It's a life that says, I'm secure, whatever comes my way. And most importantly, it's a life that allows us and our families to flourish. That's a healthy life. And I think that's the type of life every single one of us deep down desires. Security, comfort, grace. How can we not want those things? So that's what we're going to learn from this psalm today. And with that, I invite you to open up to Psalm 112 with me. Psalm 112. I believe it is page 423 in your pew Bible. It is. <laughs> psalm 112, it comes after, guess what? Psalm 111. You know what it's, what it's before? Psalm 113. Good. There we go. Smart people in this room. Psalm 112, it says this, Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. For their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken, for they will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, for they trust in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. For they have scattered, or they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor. The wicked will see all of this and be vexed. They're not going to get it. They will gnash their teeth and waste away. For the longings of the wicked will come to nothing. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. So as we see in this psalm, we've read this before. This was our call to worship, right? We've, we've talked about this several times now. We've seen this. We are told in this psalm, those who fear the Lord and take delight in his commands will prosper. Their families will prosper and whatever comes their way, good or bad, no worries. Whatever comes their way, they know they are secure because they have a healthy understanding of the Lord. Those who fear the Lord and take delight in his commands. Delight in his commands. I think this is pretty self-explanatory. I think this was pretty easy to understand. Those who study the scripture and find that the Lord is wise and who take his wisdom and seek to live according to it. 
those who take delight in his commands. But fear God. Those who fear God, what does that mean? This morning, I'm going to give you a very brief glimpse into my head, and I know it can be a very scary place, (laughs) but I promise I will get you out. (laughs) Fear God. When I read things like this, these simple, straightforward commands, my immediate reaction is, what does that mean? What does that practically look like? Over and over again, we are told in Scripture to fear God, but what does that mean? What does it mean that Abraham feared God enough to be willing to sacrifice his own son? What does that mean? Or what does it mean when Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Both the Old Testament and the New Testament tell us we are to fear God. What does that mean? When I think about fear today, my understanding of fear is this. Run! (laughs) Right? Cower, hide, get out of Dodge, run for the hills. It does not mean, yes, this is a good thing. My understanding of fear is Get out of there. And so haunted houses, horror movies, knots, Halloween haunt. I hate all of them, right? Because the purpose, the sole purpose of those things is to scare me. And I don't like being scared. Scare drives me away. And so when I apply that understanding of fear to God, I am supposed to fear God. That says I need to run away from God. God is not a safe place. And yet, that doesn't make any sense. Because how many times are we told in Scripture to draw near to God? There's got to be some understanding of fear that helps us to understand this. And so, being the good millennial that I am, I googled it. (laughs) What does it mean to fear God? And I just started reading a bunch of different articles, and it's helpful that the internet is just loaded with stuff. But what's really interesting in all these articles is they actually point back to Martin Luther. Most of these articles go back um, because Luther was kind of the guy that wrestled with this the most. And it actually makes a lot of sense. If you know anything about Martin Luther's history, If you know anything about who he was or what he was like, you probably know that early on, he really wrestled with fearing God. He lived in perpetual fear that God's wrath was going to come down and crush him at any moment. And so we are told that he would spend hours, hours, every single day in the confessional making sure he didn't leave out a single sin because he was so afraid that God's wrath was going to come and get him. He lived in perpetual fear of God. Everything he did was motivated by this feeling that if he didn't try to appease God, God was going to get him. And then one day, Luther had this powerful experience. They call it the tower experience where he's sitting there one night and he's reading the book of Romans by candlelight because I'm told they didn't have LED lights back then. (laughs) And he's reading by candlelight uh, Romans. And he has this 
huge epiphany, this breakthrough where he recognizes that what Jesus accomplished on the cross took care of or satisfied the wrath of God. That there was no longer any reason to ever fear God. That God was loving, that God was gracious, that God was someone we are to draw near to. And this moment is powerful in history. Powerful. That moment in the tower is what sparked the whole Reformation. That moment, a microcosm of that is this building. We're a Lutheran church. This is because of that moment when Luther was reading the scriptures and the Holy Spirit came in and spoke to him and helped him to understand that there is no longer any reason to ever fear God, ever fear God's wrath. This is awesome. But do you see the problem? Luther just found out there's no reason to fear God, and yet he was a brilliant Bible scholar. Brilliant. And like I said, both the Old Testament and the New Testament repeatedly say we are to fear God. For Luther, he couldn't possibly wrap his head around. How, how does this make any sense? I lived in fear forever. That was not good. Not good. The life he had now, this understanding of God and grace and all these things, that was awesome. That's the life he wanted. So he wrestled with this along with numerous other reformers. And it's really interesting. They were actually able to distinguish between two types of fear. Two types of fear. The first type is servile fear. And the second is filial. Servile, S-E-R-V-I-L-E. E, servile fear. Servile fear is the type of fear a prisoner has towards their tormentor. It's the type of fear a prisoner has towards their jailer or their executioner. It's a dreadful anxiety in the face of clear and present danger represented by another person. Servile fear is fear without hope. Fear without hope. That's the type of fear Luther lived in early on in his life. This fear that God was constantly out to get him. And everything he sought to do was try to appease God rather than please God. Unfortunately, I think too many people live like this today. Maybe not near the extreme that Luther did. But a lot of people... What they say, what they do, be it going to church, reading their scriptures, giving money to the poor, service, it's out of servile fear. This feeling that if I don't do these things, God is going to get me. I have to go to church. I have to read my Bible. I have to sit through Pastor Chris's sermon. You know, whatever. <laughs> Maybe it's good that you're not here all the time. <laughs> It was a fear of wrath alone. That's servile fear. Filial fear, F-I-L-I-A-L, filial, is probably what the psalmist has in mind. And it's the type of fear we continually see throughout scripture. Filial fear is actually from the same Latin concept we get the idea of family. Familial, filial, okay? 
It's the type of fear a child has towards their parent. Or this is an example that Luther gives. It's the type of fear a child who has tremendous respect and love for his parents and who wants to please them constantly. It's a fear or an anxiety of offending the one he loves, not because he's afraid of torture or even of punishment, but rather because the child is afraid of displeasing the one who is, in that child's world, the ultimate source of security and love. For that child, there is no safer place than to be by their parent's side. And yet at the same time, that child can look at his father who knows that father has to discipline him at times and can look at him and go, he is my father, he will not be angry with me forever. He knows that. Filial fear is a fear with hope. It's a fear mixed with hope and joy. It's a fear that leaves you in a sense of awe and respect for the majesty of God. A fear that leaves you in a sense of awe of his power, of his ferociousness, of his holiness, and the abundance of his grace. It's a fear that does not drive you away from his presence, but it's a fear that keeps you so close by him because you recognize there is no safer place to be. That is filial fear. And when we approach our father in this way, when we approach God with a holy fear like a child does with their parent, we are freed to live the lives Christ the Lord created us to live. When we live this way, when we live with a right understanding of who God is as our Father, as our King, the one who we draw near to, the one who we recognize as ferocious, holy, powerful, loving, and abundant in grace, that's where we find true security. We find, too, that our lives are not motivated by a sense of avoiding God's wrath or appeasing him. But we seek to live lives that please him. That lives that seek to honor him as our father. Lives that trust in him for our families. Trust in him for our jobs. Trust in him for our salvation. That is filial fear. A good example of filial fear is actually from the Chronicles of Narnia. Anybody ever read those? Chronicles of Narnia. Lucy, little eight-year-old Lucy, pigtails and all, um, when she sees Aslan, this terrifying lion, huge, who represents God, she sees him and she just full-on sprints and like tackles him to the ground and just like cuddles up next to him because she feels safe and she feels welcome in his presence. And at the same time, the book doesn't say this, it says parts of this, she recognizes he's a ferocious lion. <laughs> he could rip her face off at any moment. It's that type of fear that keeps Lucy so close to Aslan because she feels safe. She feels secure. She feels comforted. I just encourage you to think about this for a little second. What would it look like 
for you to approach God with this perspective? What would it look like when you sit down to read your Bible, you know, before you jump in, to take a second, just a half a second, you know, you open the thing and you sit there and then you stop. What would it take to just slow down and to say, God, how, how am I approaching this right now? Am I approaching this out of servile fear or am I approaching this out of filial fear? Am I doing this out of obligation, out of fear, like I owe you something? Or am I doing this because you're my father and I want to hear from you? Imagine how that would change the scriptures. Imagine how that would change your prayer life. Imagine what that will do when you sit in church on a Sunday and you hear from the word, you sing songs. Imagine when the offering plate comes by, how if you trust the Lord with your finances, how this would impact the way you give. Imagine how this would impact conversations with your children, conversations with your spouses. Imagine how it would impact the way you talk about your jobs or the way you look at your bank account. If we rightly feared God, imagine what that would do to our lives. If we rightly understand who God is, then we rightly understand how we are to live. For this reason, it's with this understanding of fear that the psalmist in Psalm 112 tells us that those who fear the Lord are steadfast in heart. That they will never be shaken and they have no fear of bad news. For what greater security can there possibly be than to view God in such a way? To know that he is the source of our security and our strength. It's also for this reason that the psalmist continues to say that those who fear the Lord not ought to give generously. He doesn't say they ought to. He says they do give generously. He says they are compassionate. They are just. They are gracious. They share with those who do not have. For when we rightly view God, we naturally reflect God. We don't have to force it. We don't have to try to be like God. If we rightly understand who God is, what God is like, we will naturally become in sync with him. We will learn to fear him properly. We'll be so stuck by his side, we walk where he walks. We will naturally love and care for others. We will be content with what we have and we will view our spouses, our children, our neighbors, our coworkers, our bosses the way the Lord does. Brothers and sisters, too many people in our world live in servile fear, either of God or of death. What they need to hear from us is who God really is, what God is really like what God has already done for them and is continuing to do for them in that he sent his son to die on their behalf. They need to hear from us that in his presence, that is not something to be feared. His presence is not something they need to run away from. They need to cower before. 
but in his presence they find true security. In his embrace they find freedom. And in his love they find hope. That is what a healthy perspective on God looks like. And with that healthy perspective on God, that is a healthy perspective on life. We are told, as the old song says, that our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. For our God is an awesome God. Fear him. Amen?